Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Amen. Just before we, we get into the passage, I, I was stood at the back there and just listening to the band uh, leading us in He Will Hold Me Fast. And whenever I, I, I hear that song, it reminds me of my uh, daughter, who's just had her 30th birthday. When she was about three or four years old, we'd moved to Worcester and we used to walk up on the, on the Mulvans and uh, wanting to show her independence. We'd walk along and I'd be holding her hand. She'd say, Daddy, I don't want you to hold my hand. I want to hold your hand, which meant that I put out my finger and she gripped it with her little hand and that was a sign of independence. And that was fine until we got to the dangerous bits, the bits where you could stumble and fall. And at that point I say, darling, you're not going to hold my hand now, I'm going to hold you. And in my great bear's paw, I would take her little hand and hold her firmly. And she said, Daddy, you're hurting me. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm holding you fast. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what it's like for you tonight, whether it's difficult to be here, whether it's really all sorts of things crowding into your life and you're kind of thinking, I don't know how I'm going to keep going. I'm just holding on with my fingertips. Listen to me tonight. He holds you. That's the big thing. And he will never let you go. Isn't that good news? Say yes. yes. Brilliant. Now let's turn to Psalm 50, uh, 56. We're thinking about gratitude and grateful lives this week. And it's very difficult to be grateful when you're afraid. And when David wrote Psalm 56, he was terrified. Things had just come about in his life that had blown him apart. You can read the story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21. If you look at your psalm there, you'll see there's a kind of a little title there before we begin in verse 1. For the director of music attuned the dove on distant oaks of David and Mictam when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Do you remember the story? It was a most difficult time in his life. 
He'd had a great victory over Goliath. He'd been appointed as the commander of the armies of Israel. And he'd been so successful that they'd put together a little rhyme. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul became jealous. He became paranoid. He tried to kill David. He threw a spear at him. The spear lands in the wall. David runs. Saul lurks. He sends soldiers to lurk outside his house. He's cornered. He runs for his life. He's a fugitive. He loses everything. He loses position and his home and his reputation. He loses his wife and his family. And he's so desperate that he does something that we would consider to be totally bizarre. He runs to the city of Garth, where Achish is the king. Now, if you know anything about Garth, who came from Garth? Goliath. Goliath has got brothers. Do they live in Garth? Well, maybe. There's probably loads of people in Garth who've lost their members of their family to David. Brothers and sons and husbands and fathers. And they, they see David arriving and, and they say to the king, they say, look, this is public enemy number one. You know, they, they talk about this man. He's killed so many of our relatives. It's almost as if he's got a target on his back. And it says in 1 Samuel 21, David took these words to heart and he was very much afraid. The Hebrew is, he was terrified. He was absolutely overwhelmed and he feigned insanity and then he escaped and ended up in a cave. And in response to that, while he's there, in the midst of all that fear, he writes this psalm. And the psalm is really a journey from fear to faith. And that's the journey that I hope we're going to take this evening. A few years ago, my wife and I were coming home from church. We'd been away. We were down in a, in a little church in Wiltshire. And it was 8 o'clock in the evening. I know it was 8 o'clock because we were listening to the news and the pips were going. And suddenly my wife screamed because a car was coming towards us on the wrong side of the road. Well, I swerved to avoid it, but I didn't manage to. It hit us, and we were spun around in the opposite direction. We ended in a, in a ditch, and the airbags went off, bang, bang. And then there was silence. And out of the silence, my wife said, Are you still alive? And I said, Yes. Are you and she said, yes. And then she said, you're going to make so many sermon illustrations out of this, aren't you? Well, here's two. Number one, we are not in control. We're not in control. We never know what's round the corner. We never know what's going to come over the hill. Our lives are fragile. We can't predict the future. We just don't know. Three years ago, would we have imagined the international catastrophe that is called COVID? A few months ago, would we have imagined for a moment that there would be a, a war in Central Europe? No. Could we have imagined that some of us tonight are afraid of the winter because we don't even know how we're going to heat our homes? 
We're fragile, we're in a broken world, we're broken people, and we do not control the future. That's the source of fear. If I knew everything uh, and had everything sorted, I wouldn't need to be afraid. But we don't control the future. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, God does. That's good news, isn't it? You can say yes, it's, it's allowed, okay? Yeah, God does, because that night, it could have been the end of my wife. We, we could be singing in the heavenly choir this evening, and it'd be great, but we're, we're happy to be here. And, uh, <laughs> but here's the point. It was not our time. The psalmist says elsewhere, our times are in God's hands. God's got the future. He's got it all mapped out, and we are safe in his hands. Nothing can touch us without the Lord. Nothing can harm us because he protects his people. He puts a hedge around them. We're in God's hands and therefore we're safe. And I think that that is what this psalm is all about. When David writes this psalm, he knows that he's not in control. He faces dangers left, right and center. If you look through the psalm, he begins by crying for mercy. He says, my enemies are all around me. They're crushing me. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. But that's not where the psalm ends. Like so many of the laments in the Bible, it starts in the darkness, but it works its way through to the light. And it ends, if you look at the very last verse, I know that God will bring me through. I will walk before the Lord in the light of life. He will hold me fast. So tonight we're going to move from the jaws of the enemy into the light of God's presence from fear faith. I've got just two points this evening. Number one, this is a psalm of honest confession. This is a psalm of honest confession. Look at verse one, please. Be merciful to me, O God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. David begins by crying to God. He doesn't boast of his righteousness. He doesn't bargain with God. He doesn't say, God, you owe me something. He says, God, I need you. I desperately need you. If you take your hand away, I'll fall flat on my face. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Probably you have. I'm sure you have. I need you, Lord. My enemies hotly pursue me. The word is literally, they crush me, they squash me, they, they trample on top of me. The Romans had a particular form of torture where they would lie you on your back and pin you down And they'd put a board on your chest and then they'd begin to put on heavy weights. And and as the weights became heavier, the harder it began to became to breathe until in the end you couldn't breathe anymore and it would kill you. And sometimes life feels like that. We're crushed. We're overwhelmed. All day long, verse one, they 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 don't give any respite. You know, I go to bed exhausted, I wake up in the early hours of the morning with a sick feeling in my stomach. How am I going to get through today? Look at verse 2. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. They attack him physically. They attack him verbally. They weave a web of lies around him. He, He experiences scorn and derision. No wonder he speaks of his fear in verse 3. Look down at verse 5. All day long. They twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They take my words and they twist them around. They're vindictive. They're vicious. Verse 6, they conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping 
to take my life. Verse 7 is interesting, isn't it? Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. There are people who kind of have trouble with the Psalms because of those kind of verses. You know, should we pray for the defeat of our enemies? Is that a kind of an Old Testament thing rather than a New Testament thing? Like the little boy who said, I don't like God in the Old Testament. I prefer him in the New Testament when he became a Christian. But, you know... (laughs) Well, don't we pray that prayer? Haven't you prayed that prayer in the last six months? Lord, rescue the people of Ukraine and defeat their enemies. Do you pray for the persecuted church? Number one on the world watch list tonight is Afghanistan, where the church is under the heel of the Taliban. Don't you pray, Lord, frustrate their plans, bring down the enemy, rescue your people? I think that's a Christian prayer. I think it's a legitimate prayer. Who is David afraid of? Well, it's Saul, it's the Philistines, it's pretty much everybody. He's in an impossible situation. His enemies are malicious and they're violent and they're devious and they're cunning and they're persistent. The pressure is constant. It's unrelenting, it's real and it's paralyzing. It's not a phantom fear. Some of our fears are phantoms, but some of them are real fears, aren't they? And you have real fears tonight. And David feels alone. He feels isolated. He feels in danger. He feels terrified. And maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe that sense of overwhelming fear is something you brought to the tent. And... Maybe you feel a little bit guilty about it. Maybe it's the kind of thing that you don't like to admit. Because there's a brand of Christianity that is very popular these days that has a a kind of a triumphalism about it. In other words, no Christian should ever admit that they're in trouble. No Christian should ever be afraid. No Christian should ever be sick. No Christian should ever mouth their concerns and their fears. And, And if you're a Christian, you don't go that way. You just kind of pretend everything's okay. When I started in ministry, my first mentor was, a, was an old Baptist minister from Wiltshire. He was, a, he was a, a lovely old guy. His name was Mr. Ebenezer Knight. And he'd been the pastor of a Baptist church in Wiltshire for about 150 years, I think it was, something like that. And uh, his wife was called Florence. So together they were known as Eb and Flo. <laughs> and I asked Eb one day, Eb, you know, I, I'm, I'm new to this pastoring business. What do I need to know about the Lord's people? What do I really need to know? And he said, you need to know this, that the Lord's people tell lies. That wasn't what I was expecting, I must say. I said, what do you mean, Eb? He said, it, it happens about 12 o'clock on a Sunday lunchtime when you're standing at the door and you're shaking hands and people come out and you say to them, how are you doing? And they say, I'm doing fine, Pastor. And you know that their lives are falling apart. Because as Christians, we put on masks. We don't want people to to know. We don't want to let the side down. Here's what I want you to grasp tonight. It's okay to recognize when you have fears. It's okay to come before the Lord and tell the Lord when you feel that way. Do you know, the, the book of Psalms is wonderful. I'm so pleased I've been asked to preach on Psalms tonight. There are 150 Psalms. Someone said the Psalms are, are the 150 best friends that you'll ever make in your life. And 50 of the Psalms are laments, where the the psalmist comes to God and he cries to God and he said, oh God, help me. 
I don't know what to do. And they begin very often in the darkness, but almost invariably the end in the light. It's okay to tell the Lord when you're afraid. What are you afraid of tonight? What's the thing that, that gets you tonight? That diagnosis that arrived just before you came to Keswick. That person who you love so much and you see the beginning of Alzheimer's. They're drifting away from you. They're not the person that they were. They're almost becoming like a, a ghost at the table. Or a bereavement. Listening to the radio, they were talking to this guy who, who, who'd lost his wife. And he said, in the early hours of the morning when I wake up and I reach across in the bed for her because I can't remember in those early hours that she's not there and the bed's not warm anymore. She's gone. Are you afraid of that? Or retirement or old age or making ends meet or your marriage is in trouble or, or you're struggling with your singleness or, or with your kids. Boy, do we struggle with our kids and our grandkids. Or maybe it's the church. Whatever it is, it's okay to admit it. David does. The Psalms do. And actually, here's the amazing thing. So did Jesus. We kind of think, well, Jesus was superhuman, so he never had those things. He never experienced pain and fear and in John 12, just a few days before the cross, Jesus says, my, my soul is deeply troubled. The, the, the Greek word is a word that describes a storm at sea, and the storm is raging, and there's this little boat, and it looks as if it's going to go down. And as Jesus contemplates what's going to happen to him on the cross, you know, he's going to be separated from the loving smile of his father and the father's going to take the sword of judgment and he's going to plunge it into his own son and as Jesus looks at that it almost overwhelms him I'm overcome with it and, and, and in there in the garden Lord if there's any other way and he sweats great drops of blood Jesus knows Jesus understands he's not a far distant saviour he's close he stands with you tonight and he will hold you fast. This is a psalm, first of all, of honest confession. But then secondly, this is a psalm of humble confidence. Humble confidence. As we look through this psalm, I want you to see two things that David recognizes as he works through from the dark to the light. Number one, he is in God's hands. He is in God's hands. Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mortal men do to me? And then he says almost exactly the same a few verses later in verse 10 and verse 11. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can men do to me? He's not denying his fears. He's simply saying this is what I do with my fears. I come to God, I, I, I cry to God, I, I put these things into God's hands. It's deliberate and it's focused. He kind of takes himself by the scruff of the neck. And sometimes we've got to do that as Christians. I'm going to give these things to God. Remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples just hours before the cross and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Yeah, no it's not. It's not a promise. There are promises in the passage. It's a command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't sit back. Do something. 
Immerse yourself in God's word. Did you notice three times he says, once in verse 4 and twice in verse 10, your word I praise because where does his confidence come from? It comes from the word of God. When we're afraid, where do we go? We go to truth. We go to this book. In the last three days of his life, when when my dad was, was struggling with cancer, he was a big bloke like me, and it, and it, it had reduced him. And for those last three days, we, we lived in the Psalms. We lived in the Psalms. We lived in the promises of God. We talked about Jesus. We talked about heaven. And, and what held him fast, it was the Savior through the Word. That's why Keswick is so important. That's why we need to, to immerse ourselves in God's word. That's why we need to, to, to take all the resources that, that, that the bookshop can give us to get into God's word because that's where faith is born. That's where faith becomes strong. And as he looks in God's word, what does he discover? Well, what he discovers is that he's in the hands of God. He's not in the hands of Saul. He's not in the hands of Achish. He's not in the hands of the Philistines. He's in the hands of God. Look at the end of verse 4. What can mere mortals do to me? What can man do to me? Because man can't touch me. I'm in the hands of God. He says it again slightly differently at the end of verse 11. What can man do to me? Listen to me tonight. You are not in the hands of, of men. Your diagnosis, your troubles with your family or your kids or your church or your finances or whatever it might be, Ultimately, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian tonight, you are in the hands of Almighty God. Isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. I mean, Carmichael put it like this. God is never taken by surprise. There is never a crisis in heaven. God doesn't have problems. He only has plans. COVID didn't take God by surprise. He didn't kind of fly in under his radar. The Lord knew what he was doing. I don't understand it, but I... I know that God does. You think of when David faces Goliath. You know, there's this man, he's eight foot tall and he's built like a refrigerator. He's armed to the teeth. He's an expert in death. He's a walking, killing machine. And David is a little lad with a catapult and five pebbles. Where does his confidence come from? Well, you might say the great thing about fighting a fridge is that it's a big target. (laughs) But that's not where his confidence comes from. You come against me with sword and javelin and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And David doesn't blink because he knows he's in God's hands. And that great picture, that great Old Testament picture, of course, ultimately is the picture of a greater victory. There is Jesus and he comes and and like little David, he looks so weak and feeble and pathetic and they arrest him and they beat him so he can barely stand. They they take him out to Calvary. They've stripped him naked. He's a man abandoned. He can't even carry in his own cross anymore. And they throw him to the ground and they nail him. And, and, and he hangs there like, a, like a, a, a haunch of beef. In Psalm 22, he says, I, I'm even, not even a man anymore. I'm like a worm. He's so weak. He's so feeble. He's so utterly pathetic. 
He hasn't got a chance. And what does he do? He absolutely triumphs. After the six hours of suffering, he shouts with a loud voice, finished, accomplished, done forever. And three days later, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Death is conquered. Love has won. Christ has triumphed. Excuse me. Hallelujah. He is the Lord. And we are in Christ. We are in the hands of God. We're in the hands of the Savior. He's won every battle we will ever have to face. And by faith, we come and we take hold of him. When I'm afraid... I will trust him. What can man do to me? Do you notice that he does it twice? Why does he repeat it? Is it just because he was forgetting what to say and he needed something else to say, so repeat yourself like, you know, like preachers do? <laughs> do you know why he does it twice? Because faith zigzags, doesn't it? You know, we see God's word, we believe God's word, we come to a meeting like this, we feel great, and then the fears come flooding back. And so what do we have to do? We have to say, no, 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 I'm not going to believe the fears, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in God and and faith zigzags across. And all the time we come back to, yes, I will trust him. I'm in the hands of God. What can man do to me? What can cancer do to me? What can COVID do to me? What can circumstances do to me? What can a world that hates God do to me? What can can this this whole panoply of Satan do to me? Nothing. Because God is Lord and Jesus has triumphed and the Holy Spirit dwells in me. He will hold me fast. First great thing that David realizes is that he's in the hands of God. But the second great thing that David realizes, and if anything this is even more amazing, he's on God's heart. He's on God's heart. Look at verse 8. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Now, now, there's, there's some debate as to what exactly verse 8 means, but what is clear is that when it comes to his tears, God knows all about them. And it's either that God writes them on a scroll, or God collects them in a bottle. Whatever it is, every time David prays to God, every time God, uh, David weeps before the Lord, God writes it down, or God collects the tears. God knows There's nothing more personal and private than tears. Isn't that right? Those moments when we're just overwhelmed. Those moments when we don't know where to turn. And the only response we can offer is to weep. My little grandson Abraham was born. He was a bonny lad. And within a few weeks, we discovered that he had a, a, a dreadful neurological condition, which meant that, that his life expectancy was very short. He was blind. He would never speak or have any higher functions. I've got to say, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a Brummie, and Brummies don't cry very much. And that's what I was taught as a, as a lad, but I wept. I wept silently. I was driving to London at the time when the news came through, and I had to stop the car on a service station because I couldn't go on. I, I just wept. And God took those bitter tears, and he collected them 
in his bottle. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who is compassionate. We have a God who is amazingly tender. What a friend we have in Jesus. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our trials share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. He's not a God far off. He's a God who has lived on this planet. He's a God who ate a meal and went for a walk. He's a God who became hungry and thirsty. He stubbed his toe. He hit his thumb with a hammer. He rejoiced at a wedding and wept at a funeral. He knew what it was to be deserted and denied and beaten and abused and nailed to a cross. He knew what it was to be tortured to death. The Bible says that having done that, he ascended to heaven. Having risen from the dead, he ascended to heaven and he is interceding for his people. Here's the great thing. Tonight, tonight, at this moment in time, Christian, he's praying for you. Does that blow your mind? Does that, does that, does that just slightly encourage you? Does it make you think, wow, with all my needs, he's not, he's not looking at a distance and thinking, oh, there's nothing. He's praying for you. He's holding you up before his father. When I was a kid, I used to watch Perry Mason. Who remembers Perry Mason? You've got to be over... A hundred to remember Perry Mason, okay? <laughs> you just dated yourselves. Well done. Perry Mason, for those young people who've never heard of him, was a, he was a, one of these American programs. And Perry Mason was a, was a lawyer, and, and the story was always the same, always the identical story, always the same. They went to court. The person was going to be found guilty. Perry Mason comes in 10 minutes from the end. He finds the most amazing evidence, and the person walks free. He never loses a case. He wins every time. And I remember as a kid thinking, if ever I get in trouble, I want Perry Mason. Because <laughs> he never loses. <laughs> Listen to me, Jesus never loses. He's never lost a case yet. Not once. Not one of his children has ever fallen away. Not one of his disciples has ever gone from him ultimately because he brings us back. If, if we sin, he'll chasten us because sin's a big thing. He won't, he won't let us get away with sin. Our Father will never let us go, he'll never let us down, and he'll never let us off either. But he's praying for you tonight. And so look at how, Paul, uh, how David takes it from there. I said Paul because the words almost echo Paul, don't they? Look at verse 9. When my enemies will turn back, when I call for help, by this I know that God is for me. I know that God is for me. God is on my side. God will not let me go. He will hold me fast. We, we, we read these words earlier, do you remember? Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on my side and he's compassionate and he knows my trials and my troubles and my fears and he knows all those things, and if he is for me, who can be against me? And the assumption is nobody. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? against the Lord's chosen. It's God who justifies. And so on, and so on, and so on. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are safe, we are forgiven, we are secure in the hands of Almighty God. Tonight you're on God's heart. I, I, I should pause there for a moment and say, if you are not a Christian tonight, then none of these things are true. In fact, dare I say this, and, and this may sound harsh and hard, God is against you. He's not for you. Why? Because you're against God. 
You're fighting him. And listen to me, you can't beat him. To become a Christian is to, to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. It's, it's what we did or thought about last night. It's stopping hiding the sin and simply saying, forgive me, have mercy on me. I turn from my sin, I turn to you. Look at how David concludes the psalm. This is coming out of the out of the darkness into the light. Verse 12, I'm under vows to you, God. I will present my thank you offering to you. David's saying, I, I'm going to make the offerings I promised. While I was in trouble, I cried to you, Lord, and now I want to show that, that, that I, I, I'm grateful. I, I'm full of gratitude for what you've done. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, now there's some debate about when David wrote those words. Some people think it's a P.S., you know, he's written the most part of the psalm and then when he, gets a, when he escapes and he gets to the cave of Adullam, then he's writing these words as a kind of a memory and saying, yes, now I've been saved. I don't think so. I think God's, when he writes it, he's still in Garth. What he's saying is that my, my security is so sure, I know that God will bring me through. I know that God will save me. I know that he'll protect me. And David knew that because God had promised he'd be king. God does not promise us that he will take us through all the trials of this life and will will not die. For some of us, that may be what God has for us. Some of us may not be here next, next year. But here's the great truth. We go through death to glory, which is what Jesus did. He came through death into the light of his Father's glory and he has promised his people he will hold us, he will take us to himself and one day he'll raise us from the dead and we'll be with him forever. That's our ultimate hope. That's our ultimate glory. This world fears and troubles and trials. The next world, eternal glory with Christ. And we can trust him totally. He will hold us fast. As we finish, I hope you'll forgive me for, for sharing a, a personal testimony. I mentioned my daughter right at the beginning. She was 30 years old on the 1st of July this month. 30 years uh, and that was very significant for my wife and myself because it was exactly 30 years ago when Edry was carrying Emmaus that she became ill and she's been ill now for 30 years she's been in a wheelchair for 30 years and and what you don't see is the pain which is which is uh, an accompaniment of her illness virtually every night for for a decade and I remember when 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 the doctor told us she may not make it. She may not get through this. And I was kind of combing my daughter's hair. And, and, and you know, for various reasons, I'm not particularly good at combing hair. And uh, I was kind of macheting away. And, <laughs> and she burst into tears. And then I burst into tears as well. And she said, what's the matter, Daddy? And I said, I just want Mommy back. I just want her as she was. And I went to bed that night. And you know what it's like? You wake up a three in the morning and you know you're not going to sleep. I felt sick and as I analysed my thoughts, it was absolute terror because I, I, I'd got my life sorted and here was the darling of my life and I didn't know what was going to happen. She died, what would happen to the other kids? What would happen to her? What would happen? And, and I, I, just, I just was terrified and I cried to God and, and for a couple of hours I tossed and turned and then suddenly out of, well, I was going to say out of nowhere, out of heaven... The voice of the Holy Spirit brought a verse into my heart, just a fragment of a verse, Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. In other words, whatever, whatever is going to happen, you don't have to work it out. You don't have to control it. You don't have to be the boss. I'll look after it, trust me. And then I did something amazing. I fell asleep. 
because God had filled my heart with peace. Next day, I shared it with Edry, and we prayed, Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but we know you're in charge, Lord. And so what we ask you now is use this, use this experience, whatever it is and however it turns out, for your glory so that we can serve you. And I look back, and this is 30 years now, and I say to you tonight, the Lord has answered that prayer a thousand times. More than anything we could have contemplated or imagined, God has answered that prayer. He has used trial and trouble and fear and, and, and all of those things to minister to us and to minister into the lives of other people. He's held us fast. We were always in his plans. You are always in his plans. You're safe in his hands and you're precious to him because you're on his heart. What do we do with fear? Well, we confess it and then we turn to God and we hold him. But more than that, he holds us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much tonight that we are secure in Christ that he's won the battle already and that he will hold us fast. Help us to persevere and to keep going, to not give up. In Jesus' name, amen.